Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. You know, we just want to remind everybody that we'd love for you guys to like and uh, give some sort of comment about the show. It really stokes our dopamine levels a little bit and uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. So we always mean to say this. It seems so obvious in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So please, you know, play to our our vanity a bit and uh, leave a comment and a like on the review. Today, uh, we're going to actually talk about something that uh, may be pretty interesting. Dan, Dan, what's the topic today? Well, um, I've forgotten the topic, but I'll remember it later in hindsight. Because ah. hindsight is twenty twenty, And we'll talk today about what's known as the hindsight bias, which is this phenomenon that uh, we all experience in life. Whatever has happened, even if life throws you an absolute curveball, it seems especially likely in in the rearview mirror, but the, the challenge we face is that a lot of these things couldn't be anticipated, um, and you see this a lot in the uh, political landscape. So I think back to the days of September 11th and all the, the public discussion around how could we have missed this. Uh, clearly, this should have been seen, and you know there was some intelligence certainly to suggest that there might be an attack, but was it really more evidence than you would have on it on another at another time and I, I don't know that there actually was a way to predict uh, an, a major world event like that but uh, once it's happened it seems especially um, inevitable and the problem we face it's just hard to realize what did it look like with foresight and it usually didn't seem so inevitable at the time one of the big ironies associated with those circumstances is People always think in terms of uh, some tragedy that could have been averted, and their blame gets laid upon policymakers because of their failure to recognize that beforehand. But if they did recognize it and they did implement policies, then it never would have occurred, and there would be very likely no praise allocated for that policymaker for some policy that actually would prevent some great tragedy. Yeah, there may be some misalignment of the circumstances there. The incentive for being overly cautious and conservative and taking every threat absolutely seriously, while that that would give people some comfort, it would probably cause gridlock because all you would do is fight potential fires all the time. Yeah, it's often the case that events unfold with much greater uncertainty than we actually anticipate. But when we look at them retrospectively, uh, we talk about them with such great certainty, and we lay blame upon people who we think were wrong in their assessment, and then heap perhaps undue praise on some people that had an assessment that was more consistent with how things actually occurred. You always want to be an accidental hero, right, rather than a diligent person who had an unlucky streak happen. But we don't seem to properly reward or penalize people. For those opinions, the hindsight bias has some uh, basic research in the psychological literature. Baruch Fischoff from Carnegie Mellon is often associated with this bias. 
And he had done a, a rather memorable study about the outcome of, of historical battles. And uh, the, the experiment was essentially informing people about a rather obscure battle from history and um, you know, basically having people rate one of four outcomes as you know, how likely would that have been. And people were essentially equal on these with no uh, additional information. Then he told them, you know, this is the this is the outcome that happened. And when you got that bit of information, people would then elevate its probability much more so. And so only because, you know, the only thing that really changed was you've heard this is how it worked out. So our minds sort of, we strive to fill in the missing pieces and we almost assume that there must have been a lot of things we didn't notice that, that surely are there. And so we kind of rewrite history to accommodate that. We always try to gravitate towards certainty, that the world is a place that is you know, predictable and that things unfold within a given order. And it's very difficult to recognize the fact that there's a fair amount of chaos, there's a fair amount of uncertainty and probability of various outcomes that could come to fruition. Unfortunately, uh, you know, history is what it is, and it seems to be typically pretty clear when we look at how events actually occurred and how the coin actually landed after the flip. And then we like to be able to come up with some sort of narrative that it had to have happened that way, or is it just extremely likely that it would have? We move toward sort of an optimistic viewpoint, and that's psychologically healthy, right? And we've talked about uh, illusions of control, those derive from our maybe overfixation on positive outcomes and maybe overattribution of our own role in that positive outcome. Um, you know, success has many fathers and, uh, of course, failure is an orphan. And yes. we have these, these phrases uh, that uh, sort of move about in, in society and human history capture this same sentiment. We somehow wait these uh, occurrences differently. Um, if you're moving purposefully through with a reasonable course of action, you don't expect it to go poorly. And it's only when it goes poorly that we question it. And for some reason, we're overly harsh on ourselves and others, especially others, when it doesn't go well and it wasn't very foreseeable. You know, the fact is bad luck sometimes happens and there's just uh, little we could have done to foresee it. This plays into our narratives. And we've talked about this before as well, that we are narrative beings. We like to fit our story into a coherent picture. And it's something about our minds that uh, we, we tend to, we're the hero of our own story. And uh, we like to make the events fit together, even when there was sort of something very improbable. When that enters the mix, we don't hold that aside and say, well, that was just unlucky. We usually overinterpret and try to question it maybe too much. It's interesting. There's actually some very savvy politicians and uh, activist investors that take advantage of this notion of hindsight bias. Uh, there's an old saying that uh, if there's a parade that starts, you want to get out in front and uh, pretend like you started it. Uh, so <laughs> it's often a case where a politician will see some movement and adopt it as their own, as if they were the father of that movement that's quite popular and successful. Uh, and in the realm of investing, you'll often see situations where there may be a management change that looks like it's imminent with, it, with respect to a company. 
uh, or perhaps a shift in capital allocation policy. And then an activist will take a large position, write a letter suggesting that that very change needs to occur. Uh, and then lo and behold, that was what the company's plans were anyway. They make the change and the activist looks like, oh, yes, that was my doing that I actually brought that change to fruition. And therefore, you know, we're a very successful activist firm. So there are a lot of group dynamics to this as well, right? It's not simply that we're rewriting our own sort of story. When uh, people get together or are, are different participants, you sometimes want to lay the blame somewhere else or have an out in order to be able to lay the blame if it seems appropriate. When we work in groups, that's one of the challenges is people don't want to go on a limb sometimes because they're simply being conservative. They don't you take the chance that they're going to pay the penalty for having something go poorly. Yeah, yeah. That's the old story of shooting the messenger, right? Uh, so there are the stories uh, or the, the legends and I guess uh, some historical accuracies associated with uh, Persian kings murdering messengers that brought bad news to them. It's a particularly bad job. It's a bad job. So it's always a better idea to get your rivals to deliver the bad news. Uh, and then you deliver the good news because then you're associated with it. So what's some advice for investors that you, you would offer to basically guard against this hindsight bias where um, it seems like what's going on there is you're uh, failing to learn from your mistakes in a way because you're not owning up to it being a mistake or you're not properly analyzing you know, what were the precursors. Because uh, wouldn't you have to really acknowledge this was unforeseeable and have the wherewithal to stick to that even though it did bear out? Well, I would say that typically hindsight bias, there's a couple of different circumstances where it comes to fruition and is important. One is if you engage a policy, which we do encourage people to do, of conducting a post-mortem for an investment idea, often when we initially have an idea, we'll come up with some assessment of various outcomes that may come to fruition, some of which are favorable and some of which are unfavorable. We think about the impacts associated with each of those various outcomes and the probability that they may come to fruition. When you have a negative outcome associated with a particular investment opportunity, uh, where hindsight comes into play and where it's most dangerous is when we make the assumption that we've made a mistake and it was foreseeable. And therefore, we try to derive some sort of lesson from the actual outcome when it could simply be that the probabilities just did not land in our favor and the investment idea, its execution and implementation were all well done, but... Uh, the outcome of the uh, investment was just unfavorable. And that's going to happen. And the idea is, is if you continuously make those decisions over time that are appropriately sized for the risks associated with them, that you'll, you'll be a successful investor. But if you derive lessons from something that really had no meaningful information for corrective action in the future, can be detrimental because you're creating incremental limitations on your process that don't really tell you anything. So it's important to be able to tease out whether it was just an unsuccessful investment that had an unfortunate outcome because the probabilities fell within that area of 
uh, an unfavorable outcome and the, the negative effects, or whether you actually missed something. And we seem to have a very hard time assigning probabilities to a lot of these events. It's a bit like predicting world events, isn't it? Where there are many different factors, some of which are, in a sense, invisible, right? We're not set up in a way to appreciate all the information possible. So actually assigning a numerical value, uh, people kind of fear that a little bit and try to avoid it because it's such a nuanced, detailed assessment of something that feels uh, kind of vague and squishy a lot of the time. Um, but I could see where assigning those probabilities is a good starting point, because even if you're off, you can start to get a sense of calibrating how you're thinking about the investment position. And uh, by being off, it's giving you feedback. As long as you keep the discipline going to uh, strive to quantify, um, you can make progress. Yeah, there's a few different thoughts that come to mind there. Uh, one, there's two different quotes that I think are relevant here. One is that uh, I believe it was Warren Buffett said that it's better to be, or actually, I guess it's Benjamin Graham. He said it was better to be approximately right than precisely wrong. Uh, so I, often you're not going to have the exact probabilities, but you want to try to come up with what you think is a reasonable assessment. Now you can refine that by looking at historical incidents that are similar and sometimes you're just relying upon your experience. You know that it's not precise. You know that you don't have the exact probabilities, but you can certainly define a range. A good exercise, for instance, is like, if I look at you, Dan, and I say, uh, you know, how much does Dan weigh? Well, I don't know exactly, but I know you don't weigh 300 pounds, and I know you don't weigh 12 pounds. You're somewhere in between, and I can continue to narrow that within a range of what I would say is a confidence interval. And then you can think in terms of, well, how do you know what the confidence interval is? Typically you'll say, okay, well, if I wanna have something where I'm right 90% of the time, then you, you can ask yourself, well, if I were to bet $100 and uh, if I'm wrong, I have to uh, basically pay uh, $900. And if I'm right, I would win 100 you know, based off of this assessment of probabilities, then I may be able to actually get very close to what I think the range is, that it falls within that range based off of 10 to 1 odds. And then you can play with that based off of, you know, uh, you know, 30, 70 or something along those lines. That's a helpful exercise to help you get to uh, some sort of an approximation because once we start putting money to it, it solidifies a bit. Another thing to consider when you're thinking about uh, various outcomes that uh, could come up with too is, is that it's just important to have some assessment. Boone Pickens always said that uh, it's better to be a fool with a plan than a genius with none, right? That that person is more likely to be successful. So you want to have some sort of framework that you apply, but uh, again, when we're talking about hindsight bias, it's very easy to be critical of any plan that was implemented that ended up in an unsuccessful outcome. And you don't want to overly judge yourself based upon something that was merely unfavorable if the process was sound. And we often don't even consider these uh, little forks in the road unless they're particularly dire or disastrous. And that, that's probably another important lesson is that uh, you can quantify even more mundane events. And perhaps that's the, the fruitful way forward, because then 
you're less emotional about it and you can maybe be more realistic about, okay, this, this did happen. I gave it a 40% chance. This, this other possibility, which I thought was slightly higher, didn't happen, but it, it probably could have. And if you start to think that way, maybe you, uh, you know, it's almost like the more emotional the event, the more you could discount it as super unlikely just because many people didn't see it coming. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that pretty much covers the range unless you've got something else, Dan. No, I think that's about it for hindsight bias. And I think we'll look back on this episode and hopefully we'll be happy with it. Oh, that's a good one. Bye for now. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.